0: You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now step into the arena of ideas with your host, Dr. Brian Chilton. Coming to you from the mystic, chilly, foggy, foggy is a key word, mountains of northwestern North Carolina and the clear, cool, Beautiful blue sky of northwestern Montana uh, This is the Middle Tour Christie Podcast Where we take Christian truth Into the arena of ideas Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Brian Chilton Joined alongside the Cowboy Apologist He's got his window open Beautiful blue sky there And I am envious because it is nasty It is cool Well, it's not so cool It's, it's fairly well uh, In the 50s, uh, 40s, 50s I think it is But it is foggy It looks like a sometime, something uh, Uh, Off the scene of a horror movie out there is is so crazy But we are so thankful and grateful that you're with us tonight I hope you're doing well wherever you may be Uh, Believe it or not, this is the fourth installment of our winter Bible study We are over halfway finished We're entering into the second half uh, of our Bible study series I want to give you just a few words as we begin Um... To kind of let you know where we're heading, uh, moving forward for the duration of the um, of the pot of the season. Believe it or not, we're well over halfway finished with season seven of the Bellator Christie podcast, and uh, we are just trucking right along. And so, uh, coming up after our winter Bible study, which this will go through midway uh, mid February, coming at, coming up after. Uh, The Winter Bible Study. Uh, We do have a series coming up on anthropology. And we're going to have several discussions on what it is that makes people who they are. Uh, so we're going to have some discussions Coming up with uh, theories on human origins We're going to talk about the human soul uh, Dr. Michelle Johnson is going to join us As we talk about the Imago Dei The image of God uh, Then we'll have a question zone episode coming up Then coming up in March We're going to have some deep discussions uh, Concerning uh, anthropology We're going to talk about anthropology and transhumanism In fact this is a big discussion We're going to have two podcast two episodes on this very issue dr deanna huff joining us and then ryan Pauley of uh i think it's clear thinking now I, there's a different name for his ministry yeah, yeah, um yeah. He, he's actually clear doing thinking, some yeah. yeah he's actually doing some research on transhumanism so we'll have him coming on with us on the 14th dr leo purser joining us asking the question why are we here Uh, We have another questions on episode coming up, and then Dr. T.J. Gentry joining us. We may have to tweak the date of this because it's going to be around the time of Holy Week. Uh, Easter's coming earlier this year. We're going to talk about marriage and what that means, uh, what marriage is all about for uh, humanity. I mean, that's going to be a really good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Right there, and then believe it or not, we're going to wrap things up in the month of April. As we're going to have a very brief discussion on hermetyology, the study of sin. Very brief uh, series on that. We've got a questions on episode coming up in April, and then we're going to wrap things up uh, with uh, one, one maybe two episodes in May. Uh, we got to get things situated with that. And then that'll rack it up uh, for for season seven of the Bellator Christie podcast. We don't have that many more episodes to go. Uh, the uh, as they used to say on uh, in, well, as my grandpa used to say, they they used it whenever were farming. We're on the short roads now. Uh, we're getting to the end of again uh, the end of the season, most assur- most assuredly. Coming up Season 8, just want to give you a brief note on this as well. I, you, I, I don't mean to unload all this stuff on you at one time, but because we are coming to, we're getting to just a few months left, uh, just to kind of let you know where we're going, Season 8, we've got three big uh, theology series coming your way, and this will wrap up our systematic theology series on the Billitor Christie podcast. Angelology and Demonology, That's we're going to hit Season 8 off strong. Uh, We're going to talk about angels and demons in this series. Then we're going to move quickly over to a series called Ecclesiology. This is a study of the church. We're going to talk about different ordinances and different ways different churches do different things. And then we finish off season 8 with a big time discussion on eschatology, end times. And that will bring us in from 2024 into 2025. And that is going to be An interesting uh, series of discussions Most assuredly Uh, So we hope you join us for that Want to say one last thing Before we get into our Bible text And in our Bible study I was blessed and honored To While I was at Liberty to take some classes under... um, I have several favorite professors there, but one of them had to be Dr. Gary Habermas. Uh, He was actually writing his magnum opus while we were there with him in class. Well, now it's being published, but it's going to come out in phases. (laughs) We have the first volume of Dr. Gary Habermas' book on the evidence... on the resurrection is what it's called... Volume 1 is on the evidences. And if you're wondering whether or not there is evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, well, get a load of this. Here is the book. It's like five pounds. <laughs> so, and this is the first volume. There are going to be four. Four volumes around this size. Look at that. I mean, it is huge. Uh, four volumes are on on uh, the resurrection what's that now
1: How many pages?
0: Let's see here. What by the that t- book. how many pages let me look and see. So there are there are several appendices so looking through if you count the index everything together 1053 pages and that's the first volume. This, was, this is the one devoted to the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Volume 2 coming out, uh, which will be coming out September of this year. Volume 2 is on refutations. This is where he's going to refute the skeptics. It's going to be a huge book. The third volume likely coming out sometime um, mid 20s Let's see, wait a minute. Early 20... F- f- let's see, the... Early 25 2025. Volume 3 is going to offer A survey of evidence uh, For the life of Jesus From at least Good Friday to the resurrection uh, Maybe even the last week I think I think it was And then the last and final uh, Volume is coming out Late 25, early 26 This is one I'm really looking forward to He's going to take a look at the practical Implications, the theological Implications of what the resurrection means, and how it can help us in times of doubt, and especially as we go through times of grief. Volume 4. Volume 1 is impressive. It's really good. I can't wait to dive into it. But Volume 4 is one I'm really anticipating, because he taught a class called Doubt, and he's going to include a lot of that material in Volume 4. I wasn't able to take that class. Someone asked me, he said, Did you not take the class because you doubted you'd be able to pass the class on doubt? I was like, well, yeah, that's probably it. No, it wasn't. <laughs> he just didn't offer it with the time I was there. But uh, but anyhow, uh, that's, those are the four volumes. This is going to be an impressive series of books coming your way. Uh, it is. I'm just going to be honest. It is an investment. This first one is is pretty expensive, and and I think the the rest of them will be, you know, fairly expensive for books too. But it is an investment, and I think it's going to be one well worth every penny. And just looking through the material thus far, I can say it absolutely is. So
1: yeah, how do you get on that list to to uh, have them send them as soon as they put them out?
0: So, it is now available in, on Amazon and really bookstores everywhere. So, if you just go on and look uh, at, uh, it's called on the, Ev- on the Resurrection Evidences by Gary Habermas. Uh, you can order your copy, and it mine got here fairly soon. The, they are pre-ordering Volume 2, Refutations, and it won't be due until somewhere around September 15th of this year 2024 so uh, just be sure to mark that if you're interested if you've ever been if you've ever wondered whether or not there's there are reasons for believing in the resurrection of Jesus or whether there's evidence to believe in the historicity of Jesus well now you have no excuse it's out there at least the evidence part is the rest of it's coming very very soon so impressive stuff i have to say going over the research of 30 40 years of 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 academia, uh, and you know he is one of the world's well re- most well respected and world renowned uh, experts on the resurrection. He's now sharing um, this material with us, and so uh, again, highly encourage Ooh. you to go get your copy. It is a little hefty; it's pricey. I, I will warn you that even the
1: even, even the Kindle the Kindle version is hefty. <laughs> yes, it is.
0: It's it's a hefty investment That's, for you're sure. You
1: have to get yourself. An, Kindle per uh, a Kindle per uh, per book. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, <laughs> uh, uh, but
0: it is an investment. I, I I'll be first to uh, admit that. But um, <laughs> if looking oh, through yeah. it, oh, it yeah, is uh, it's going to be one well worth every penny.
1: Well worth it. Yeah.
0: Well, tonight we're talking about Galatians four. We're continuing our study in uh, the book of Galatians. Uh, we're going to look through uh, Galatians four, and we're going to call this the grace of God, a matter of the head in heart. And so, I was looking through the breakdown of this chapter, and and I actually looked through a different uh, different ways different people outlined. Uh, This chapter and it seemed like there were some similarities between uh, Some of the outlines others used and and the outline that I I created myself So uh, let's take a look at the grace of God a matter of the head and heart Uh, Last chapter we ended off uh, In fact Paul was telling us there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile Jew or Greek and he goes through this uh, Discussion well now he's going to dig in a little deeper and so the first thing we want to see, so let me just first of all say here, you know, I mentioned previously, and in fact it's talking about this discussion of Habermas um, and his research, it kind of goes along well with this discussion. As I went through my academic journey, that is training for, for the mind, for the head. But as I've gone through three and a half years of hospice ministry, dealing with people who are dealing with death, who are dying uh, terminally ill, dealing with their families. I had an opportunity to take what is called clinical pastoral education, which is it gives you tips and strategies for helping people cope with crises, helping people cope with um, traumatic instances they're going through in life, traumatic situations, and really helping ourselves to deal with with the things that we encounter as well, I've told many people. Whereas academia was training for the mind, that was training for the heart. And as Gary Habermas talks about, you know, in his research, he's talked about it in blogs, he's talked about it in books, he's talked in class, and he's talked in several different avenues. One of the things that hit him hard was the death of his own wife. It. Early in her thirties, had four kids. She died of cancer, and the question is, how do you deal with that? Uh, and that's one thing I've learned is that when you come to these end of life issues, your faith is, is is if you have a strong faith, it's going to help you through. And if you don't, and if you're kind of you're not sure, it's going to be a little more difficult. I think. Uh, as you're dealing with these things, so the head and the heart is uh, is really important. Curtis, was you going to say anything? I didn't mean to interrupt you. If you did, if you were
1: no, it's just I, I just that's that's a that's a that's a a process that I don't think anybody could even wrap their mind around unless you've gone through it.
0: What are you talking about? The death part, or the doubt, or going through losing someone?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, would agree. Someone.
0: And that's why it's important yeah. when we're dealing with people who are going through circumstances and situations in life that we don't use cliches. We don't use things of that nature. And the worst thing we can do is to say, I know what you're going through or I know how you feel. We don't. We don't know what a person's going through. We don't know what the person's mm-hmm. feeling. Uh, The the best thing we can do is to be there for that individual at that time Uh, But what what we find is that as we're dealing with the grace of God uh, We see that the grace that God gives us God's grace given to us Gives us tools intellectually To deal with situations we may be facing But he also reaches out and ministers to us With a heart healing as well and so let's take a look at some of passages of Scripture. He's going to use some illustrations tonight as we as we go through this material. So let's read first of all verses. He's going to give two illustrations concerning the matter of the grace of God and the head, the mind. Uh, we want to use look at two illustrations. We're going to look at a legal illustration, and we're going to look at a. Um, uh, that of a Roman father and his son. We're going to look at the Redeemer's father and his children. We'll look at that. And then we'll uh, look at an Old Testament illustration uh, as well. But let's, as we read this passage of Scripture, this chapter break I don't understand because it's a paragraph here. Let's take a look at verses 27 of chapter 3 and go on down to verse 7 of chapter 4. Yeah.
1: So it says in in 327, it says, For those of you who are baptized in Christ have been clothed in Christ. There is no Jew, Greek, slave or free, male and female. And since you are all one in Jesus Christ, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs, according to the promise. Now I say, as 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 long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave though he is the owner of everything instead he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father in the same way we also when we are when we were children were in slavery under the elements of the world when the time came to completion God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and because you are sons god sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba father so you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then god has made you an heir
0: that abba word abba is aramaic for Father and could very well uh, there's, there's a good chance That that is a Quotation of Jesus' use of Abba In the Lord's Prayer uh, Or some people call it the Model Prayer um, That's very fascinating because this is A very early Early book around late 40's 48-49 that the book of Galatians Was likely written and so if he's Quoting the Lord's Prayer what does that say about that material? Well it shows it's early So there's a little apologetic for us there In his quotation of Abba Father By the way No one in rabbinic literature to my knowledge Ever called God Abba They just didn't mm-hmm. That was a term of endearment That was a term of relationship Jesus is unique in his in his reference to God as Abba uh, It's very fascinating So we see that he first of all uses this illustration and he's referring back to uh, the, the, the illustration or the union of a Roman father and son. This would have been something, he, and he always considers his audience, the people he's writing to, or the people he's speaking to. So this would have been something that would be more understandable, cognizant for people in Galatia. Than, than uh, maybe uh, other things would have been, and so. Uh, but he he talks about his frustration uh, first and foremost. And here again, I'm borrowing from some outlines that some others in the field have used uh, for for part of this. I you know not all of it, but part of it. But he talks about his frustration. Uh, And he talks about in verse 1, he says, Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no ways from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. And so in the ancient world, an underaged heir had no right to his inheritance and was temporarily in the same legal status as a servant who didn't own anything. So uh, at this stage, he he wasn't, even though he was going to inherit these things, uh, at this stage he, he was not the recipient of that inheritance, meaning that their standing was in fact the same. And so but notice also the freedom that comes about in verse two. and he says instead uh, instead he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. He's under teacher. So the word guardians here is a Greek word uh, pe- pedagogos. Uh Gogos, uh Gogos I hope I pronounced that right doesn't refer to the same idea as remember he's talked about a guardian earlier about the law being a guardian for us until the time of Christ uh, but here he's talking about a guardian who was another servant who protected this underage heir uh, it's kind of like a trustee, you may say, who is responsible for their needs until he came of age. So it's like a teacher. It's like someone training the person. It's not like a, a superintendent like the law was, but it's someone who's guiding this person along uh, to, to bring them to this particular point until they've inherited, until uh, the, they obtain the inheritance. And notice that this time was set by the Father, Set by the Father. So, this analogy was to illustrate that God had everything under control during the period of the Mosaic Law. He was setting things up perfectly for the coming of Christ, the advent of Jesus, and that also means that. Christ came at the perfect time, at the perfect place, and and in the situ- perfect situation that was not ideal accord. You know, of course, uh, because of the difficulties he went through. But this was the chosen period that uh, that uh, Jesus would come, and so all of this was to bring the inheritance to the people. So this illustration is quite powerful, in how he shows the inheritance that we have. And I think there's a spiritual application to this as well. You know, we're going through, we go through difficult times in life and maybe God has promised us something or maybe we feel God is going to move a certain way in our lives and we see that He's working in that, in that way, but maybe it hasn't come to fruition just yet. Uh, that sometimes we have to do something that is incredibly difficult and that's just to simply trust, obey, and be patient. And that's not an easy pill to swallow. Sometimes, um, sometimes I don't know about anybody else, but sometimes if I, you know, feel like God's going to move a certain way, I just, you know kind of feel like, well, God, can you hurry up? <laughs> can you move this thing a little faster? But you know, I have to say there was a situation that happened with me this past week that reminded me so much of the impeccability of God's timing. I was running late to go visit a person, and uh, it seemed like. There were more and more obstacles set in my way, but before I could ever go see this individual, <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, "What is up?" It's like every time I try to go to this this person's room, I just, I can't get there for what for the reason. Well, it just so happened when I went there, the the doctor went there as well, and it was this it was that time it was the time after having prayer after being with a person that the person passed and the family. Needed us in there at that moment. Now, if I had my way about it, I'd have been in there a lot earlier. But you know what? My way, my timing was imperfect. It wasn't the right time. God's timing was perfect. And that's so true with many things in our lives. We've got to trust in His timing and not ours.
1: It's hard to do sometimes.
0: I wholeheartedly agree, because I'll be honest, I'm not the most patient of people in the world. I'd like to say that I was, but my wife would tell you real quickly that I am not. (laughs) But then we go on to see the the illustration of a Redeemer's father and the father's children in verses 3-7. through He talks about a frustration in verse 3. He talks about, while under the law they enjoyed little of the father's estate... Uh, when we were children, we are in slavery under the elements of the world, he says. Uh, the elements of the world are things that are by nature and are not, div- not necessarily divine. They're weak and worthless elements. Um, and these can be linked to the observance of special days, seasons, years. He's not, he's not dismissing Jewish festivals because he himself is a Jew and kept those things. But he's saying that compared to the grace of Christ, these things are meaningless, he said, compared to the grace of God, compared to the salvation found in Christ, they really don't have these observances based on the law and rhythms of nature and things of that nature, they just have no, no impact. It's not it's it's like that we're under the elements of the world. We haven't received that true inheritance that would come by Christ. And so here he talks in verses four through seven. Of that freedom. So when the time came to completion, when the time was right, God sent His Son. There's almost like a little creedal rhythmic pattern to this. Sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, mm-hmm. to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption. We might receive adoption. Uh, th- this, this word. Uh, I have to With the Greek words I have to pronounce them like I was In elementary school with English words I uh, means to set free by purchase To set free those sinners Out of this This enslavement that they had uh, We also see that Christians receive adoption As children As sons and daughters instead of being a son by the bloodline. Jesus is the only one who is truly the son of God, but he allowed us to be adopted by the Father, brought into the bloodline by Christ. And we see here again, so powerful that Paul uses the same phrase that Jesus uses to start off the Lord's Prayer using Abba, Father, So we're no longer slaves. We're no longer servants. But we are children of God. And if we are children of God, by the grace of God, through the salvation found in Christ, that means we are heirs of the Father.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: How powerful is that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. I mean, it'd it'd be like Bill Gates or some rich gazillionaire coming down and say, hey, I want to adopt you into my family and everything I have is yours. I mean, can you imagine that? Everything I have is yours. Well, God is far richer than Bill Gates or any other person, but he's essentially done that for us who are his children. He says, here's this inheritance you have. All I have is yours. What is that? That's the entire, all of existence, really, you might say.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd do Bill Gates. I if somebody was gonna if I was gonna be an heir to Bill Gates, I'd do Bill Gates without all of his drama and garbage <laughs> that he brings with him.
0: Well, that might be better. I haven't felt I haven't followed Bill Gates in some time, so I I don't even the old the older I get, I try to have less drama. <laughs> yep, totally. So he uses an he uses this illustration of heirs, uh, but then he uses an Old Testament illustration, comparing Hagar and Sarah, two Old Testament women, to allegorize the law of Moses and the law of grace, two very different things. And in this passage of scripture, Hagar is going to represent the law of Moses. Sarah is going to represent the law of grace. So let's take a look at verses 21 through 31.
1: So verse 21 says, Tell me, (laughs) tell me, you who want to be under the law. Don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman but the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh while the one by the free woman was born through promise these things are being taken figuratively for the woman represents women represents two covenants one is from mount sinai and bears children into slavery slavery this is hagar now hagar represents mount sinai in arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, mm. for it is written, Rejoice, childless women or woman, unable to give birth, burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, For the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband.
0: That's Isaiah 54, verse 1 there. Okay, interesting.
1: Hmm. It says, Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of a promise. But just as then, the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit so also now but what does the scripture say drive out the slave and her son for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman therefore brothers sisters we are not children of a slave but of the free woman
0: Mm. that's just sheer genius how he compared Hagar and Sarah, to the law of Moses and the law of grace. If you really stop and think about it, it, it's, it's truly amazing. So he uses Hagar as an allegory of the law. And we see this in verses 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 29, 30, and 31. So here's some key points. She was... She was a servant of Abraham and Sarah Her marriage to Abraham Was fleshly directed And by that Think about this Why did Abraham have relations With Hagar It was because he and Sarah got impatient and they tried to rush the matter. They thought, well, maybe God didn't mean that we were going to have a child. Maybe he had good intentions, but maybe he didn't really mean because, you know, Abraham's getting on up in age. She's getting close to 100. Sarah's getting close to 90. And they're thinking, you know, seriously, if this is ever going to happen, it must It must need to happen with this younger woman here. Not with me, Sarah's probably saying. It's, that, that just can't happen. So, they thought, well, this has to be the way that it that it came about. Now, through that, God still brought about a great blessing. He brought about a a, a group of people who would not have existed otherwise. So, what started off bad ended up good, bringing you know bringing a a, a bunch of different people that God intended to to be here. Uh, but still, uh, the son Ishmael was born, naturally born. Paul says in verse twenty four. There's some, but there's a persecution that happened between Ishmael and Isaac. Uh, Ishmael tended to persecute Isaac and her child was not considered Abraham's rightful heir because that was not the intended path that God had established for them. Man, there's so many spiritual applications we can make to that about life. Yep. <laughs> Times where we try to rush God and God gives us a promise, He says, This is going to happen in your life. And you think, Well, certainly, God couldn't do this, so maybe He meant something else. Or, you know, maybe God said I was forgiven, but could He really love me? You know, I've messed up, I've done so many bad, bad things, so maybe He meant it for somebody else, but not me. You know, so, well, we do that all the time. We, we say, Well, you know, could this really apply to my life? Uh, so her, so anyhow, Genesis. So in other words, Hagar here in this illustration Paul uses compares her to uh, earthly Jerusalem, and so um, there's no need to really go into that because it's you can kind of see the illustration in Genesis 15, 17, 21, and and several other passages of Scripture. But then we see that Sarah. Becomes an allegory of God's grace. She was a freed woman. Her marriage to Abraham was directed by the Holy Spirit, and uh, the son Isaac was supernaturally born. Because let's just stop and think about it. how many people do you know who's aged a hundred and ninety who have kids.
1: <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm at fifty. I'm at fifty, and I can't keep up. with
0: the ones that we have, <laughs> I asked that at a church one time. I was preaching on—I uh, don't think it was Galatians, but it was something about Abraham and Isaac. And I asked—I uh, uh, <laughs> asked some of the ladies there uh, who were. Some of them were actually in their nineties, and I said, "Can you imagine, you know, giving birth to a child in your 90s? Some of them gave me some looks like "Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh Not going to (laughs) happen But that's what happened here That's what happened with Abraham and, and Sarah It defied imagination It was a supernatural work of God Okay And so God was wanting to demonstrate his power And his commitment to his promises His fidelity His truthful nature So But this child was considered Abraham's rightful heir. Sarah, therefore, represents the new covenant, and she corresponds to this heavenly Jerusalem that we find. So we see that one is from Mount Sinai, bears children into slavery. This is what Paul says, That is the law of Moses. But now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia, corresponds to the present Jerusalem. She's in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above, this spiritual Jerusalem, is free, and she is our mother, comparing that to Sarah. So, Paul is really showing that there's two ways of living life. There's there's living life being under the bondage of the law, or there's living life under the grace and salvation of Christ. Essentially speaking, salvation is not only something that guarantees us a place in heaven with God for all eternity, but it actually brings a great redemption to our lives with the understanding that we're not shackled all, all, under all these thou shalt" and thou shalt not's. Now, yes, is it important to be good moral people? Of course it is. Paul's going to talk about that in the next chapter, distinguishing the living life according to the Spirit and living life according to the flesh, There are distinctions in that. But if you've been saved by the grace of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, your life is going to look different. And you no longer have to be under the constraints and the the shackles of legalistic thinking. And Curtis, can you imagine what this would do for so many of our churches and so many of our modern believers if we just caught a glimpse of of God's grace, not saying that we should live, live, live immortal, mm-hmm. immortal lives, but just basking in our immortality found in the grace of God. Mm-hmm. It's revolutionary.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I heard a preacher once say, you know, this is this isn't necessarily the representation, but isn't that just about how God works? Right when you think everything is dead abraham at 100 and, and sarah at, a, at, a, at 90 when you think all hope is lost and all all reasoning is is gone and a, all rational thought and rational um understanding of how life works and then all of a sudden god brings forth and could that be why in that story when, when sarah hears that uh, she's going to be pregnant the next? The next time those those angels visit, that she laughs, mm-hmm. as she snickers in her tent, just like we did. It's like, yeah, no, that ain't gonna happen, you know.
0: Exactly. Um, hmm. Yep. I, and I think that's so true. And I, th- you know, a lot of times going back to thinking about living law and grace. Sometimes I think we get so confined and so comfortable with certain things in life. You know, I was talking to some friends this past week. We were talking about this very issue and um, about how God sometimes moves us from our comfort zones to, to prepare us for ministry and, and, and a walk that we never anticipated. You know, I was thinking about this this, this afternoon that when I went to school, I uh, started going to school, my, my vision was to be a professor. Uh, God has opened up some doors for me that I'm very thankful for, but I never envisioned being a chaplain. I never envisioned being a hospice chaplain at that. Mm-hmm. But the blessings that have come from that and, and being able to be a blessing to other individuals has has revolutionized my life. It, it's it's really transformed me uh, into really, in a, mini, mini, a matter of speaking, a different person. I, I was told... At the very get-go, that, that it'll change you, and and it's so true. I mean, you see the people going through some of the things you do. I mean, sometimes it can be traumatic, but um, it can be life-altering, too. I don't know where I was going with that. But I guess the, the whole point I was trying to simply make in that is you trust God's plan. I mean, God will use us. I mean, sometimes He has to move us out of our comfort zones to get us where He wants us, but we've just got to be open and embrace the plan that God has for our lives. Especially if it doesn't make sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, let's take as so we talk. We talk about the matter of the head. Paul is talking about. He used illustrations that they would have understood. The illustrations of being an heir of God, being an illustration of of um, the the Old Testament of Hagar and and Sarah. But now he's going to speak to the heart, to this, to this notion, to this discussion of of legalism itself. So let's take a look at verses eight through twenty. Kind of a lengthy passage of scripture. But let's take a look at uh, let's take a look at that those verses now.
1: Verse eight says, "But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that, by nature, are not God's." Or but now, since you know God, Yahweh, or rather, you have become known by God, how can you tur- turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons, years. I am fearful for you. That perhaps my labor for you has been wasted.
0: You, let, let's pause. I like how oh,
1: it says in the New King James. It says, "Been in vain."
0: Have been? Have been a what now? Have been? Have
1: been, been in, in vain.
0: vain. In vain. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's pause right there before we move on to the rest. So he gives a rebuke, a stern rebuke, at that. Uh, he even points out in verses eight that. Since they didn't know God, they were enslaved to things that were by nature and not of God, uh, or not, of, not gods, so not of the spiritual domain, not of the, the divine domain. They were enslaved to materialistic things. And I was thinking about that. You know, In fact, it was actually in this class I'm teaching. You remember the song by Madonna, A Material Girl? Living in a material world, and I am a material girl. And she—if you follow the character—I'm not a material girl. I'm not a girl, but I, <laughs> thank you, Curtis. I see where you're going with it. <laughs> but anyhow, if the whole point of the song, she's playing this character that's very vain, and will do anything possible to gain more and more and more, very materialistic. But there's actually a little commentary in that song. About the dangers of a materialistic society. Paul was saying that they were driven by materialism. They were by being enslaved to the things that are by nature. But now, since you know God, they've entered that relationship, have become known by God. Of course, God already knew them. But there's a relational knowledge that they've entered into. How can you then turn back to the weak and worthless elements? He's saying, why would you want to go back? to this materialistic thinking. He compares legalism to a form of materialism because it's basing on basing these matters on materialistic things. Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again he says? You're observing special days, months, seasons and years. You 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 have your different holidays and festivals well and good, but are those things going to save you? And let's just stop and think about this too. You know, from a Christian perspective, uh, well yeah. Paul is a Christian, but you know, he's talking about Jewish things. Let's think about this from a Christian perspective. Do we only worship God on Christmas and Easter? Are we are we only keeping those certain special days of the year or do we have an ongoing relationship and it's not about doing or checking off these certain boxes Mm -hmm. paul says it's about having an established relationship with god and how good curtis would your relationship with chris be if you only spoke to her two times a year
1: yeah i was just i was just thinking about that it's like you go even even if you were to just speaking or speaking to them a couple of times a day in the matter of just checking off a box just just checking off a mark you know so oh i did this today i did that today it, it it's there's no relationship then there's no there's no understanding
0: absolutely so it it comes by this relationship it comes by you know constant you know it comes by communication it comes by compassion getting to know each other and you know that's a continual ongoing thing that happens lifelong so the same that's true with our relationship with God it's an ongoing process and I think part of the reason that God puts us through or allows us to go through certain circumstances and situations in life is so that we'll lean on Him and trust Him more. and, And so that He can show Himself to be trustworthy to us and just develop and enrich that relationship that we have with God. So he asks the question, he says, I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor has been... Wasted, or as you said, the New King James says, in vain. So, now he knew it; they weren't, but he was so discouraged by them wanting to go back to their old ways. He's just thinking to himself, he's asking them, what are you guys, what are you thinking? You know, why would you want to do this?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So he gives a review what's in verses. What's the
1: point of me just saying this?
0: Yeah, What's what's the point? What's the point? So he gives a review in verses 12 through 18, and will just bring up a couple of points here. Let's take a look first at verses 12 through 15. Paul reminds them that they were once his friends, that they are, they're friends. So there's something that's going on here between the Galatians and Paul that it even seems like they're turning against him at this point because he said, you know, at one time we were close friends, but now there's something going on That's not quite right. So let's take a look at verses 12 through
1: 15. Yeah. Yeah, so it says, I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of weakness of the flesh. You did not despise me or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Verse 15. Where then is your blessing? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn your own eyes out and given them to me.
0: So here again, it makes you think that something is going on here between Paul and the Galatians. In verse twelve, Paul he wanted his he wanted the Galatians to become like him, free from the law. It doesn't doesn't mean that Paul was not an immoral person. Paul was a holy person. He was sought to follow right. God, but he wasn't bound under all these rules and regulations. He was bound. He was bound by the grace of God. He was freed from the shackles of sin. And, and we're talking about a guy who was one of the highest-ranking rabbis of his time, set to go on the Sanhedrin. Yeah, Rabbi Saulus Paulus, as well. He would have been known as. Yeah. But now he become a missionary of the church. Um, so he wanted them to become like him. Paul probably wanted to go somewhere else. Maybe he wanted to go, you know, one commentator said that he thinks that maybe he wanted to go to Ephesus. But there was some type of illness he had. It may have even been some type of, of um, persecution he faced that caused him to go into the Galatia instead of going into Ephesus. Uh, but he had to stop in Galatia. And so it was while he was there uh, that he got to know the people, established this church or a series of churches. Uh, many people believe in Acts. You know, in Acts fourteen nineteen, Paul was stoned and left for dead on his um, on his first missionary journey, and so he perhaps was beaten beyond recognition, and that's maybe why he said something like here that you did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you, though it was as difficult for you to see. Maybe you know, maybe he was even talking about the trial for himself there as well. Um, but you know, when someone is is really going through a difficult time, you know, it's, it may be hard for other people to see that person going through that. But they had come together; they had cared for him; he had cared for them. Um, and so, so these issues, these physical issues, had become a thorn in Paul's flesh, whatever they were. Second Corinthians twelve seven tells us that. But uh, whatever it was, they had come together; they were at one times close personal friends but something happened and and paul says well now you just seem like you're my foes instead of my friends you seem like you're my enemies so let's take a look at verses 16 through 18 yes so
1: this this is this is powerful um 16 uh it says so then have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? They court you eagerly but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. But it is it is always good to be pursued in a good manner and not just when I am with you. Mm. So, My children, I am a my I am again suffering uh, labor pains, and I I just wanted to go to that point because oh sure yeah it is I wanted to I wanted to go just a little ways past to just show that what he's saying it's 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 painting him he's 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 uh, uh, he's in he's in uh, you know distress over these people
0: so. There there is a problem I don't know whether I want to say this or not, but I am going to. Um look, there's two things. In in Plato's book on the Republic, he gives an illustration of, he it gives an allegory of the cave. And in this allegory, it's a beautiful allegory, he, he gives an illustration of a guy of, of three maybe four individuals who were bound up in this cave from birth. They'd been shackled. And the only thing they could see were the shadows of these, of the images of, of um, these figures or people were making these shadow puppets in front of a light behind them. And that's all they could see. They were, they were fed and that's all they could see. Well, one so happened to get loose and was freed and was taken outside of the cave the sun, the sunlight blinded him. but eventually he began to see that there was this world beyond the scope of that one little cave that he had experienced all of his life and began to wonder to begin to, to learn about all these beautiful things that existed outside of that cave. But then Plato asked the question, what would happen if that guy goes back and tries to free his friends? What would happen if he tried to tell them about these birds, these flying animals he saw, and this blue sky that he saw, and he saw this brilliant sun in the sky, and he saw this green grass and, and leaves from the trees and these beautiful flowers that smelled so wonderful, that were so fragrant? Plato asked the question, what would happen if he went back to the cave? He said, well, would his friends not mock him and despise him and, and maybe even try to kill him? But yet, the guy who was enlightened felt responsible to try to tell his friends in the cave to bring them out of the cave, to bring them into the sunlight of the day. There's there's an interesting point in that allegory that we also find in this passage of Scripture. Paul had seen the light of God's grace, and he was trying to free his friends from the shackles of this cave, the shackles, this enslavement found in legalism, but yet now his friends were turning on him. His, his friends were turning against him just like the friends in the cave did in Plato's Allegory. There's, there's a problem I see in the modern church. This leads me to the second problem. There's a problem I see in the modern church today that so much of what we do anymore seems to be built around the cult of personalities rather than the grace of God and the truth of Christianity. Sometimes it may be a pastor, sometimes it may be a teacher, sometimes it may be a scholar, sometimes it may be um, whatever else you want to add there. It could be a denomination, it could be a church, whatever else you want to add there. And so many times, people will elevate whatever that entity is to the point that it becomes greater than the gospel message itself. And so Paul seems to be saying the same thing here. They court you eagerly, notice he says in verse 17, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me the legalists did so that you would pursue them. But notice there it's not it is but it it is always good to be pursued in a good manner and not just when I'm with you. In other words, they were pursuing them not to benefit them, not to help them, but simply to promote themselves and their agenda. And that is what Satan does too. I'm not saying these people were necessarily of Satan, but Paul does say that they were false brothers. But I do think what happens in the church, I'm not saying that people who do that in the church are always false brothers and sisters. I'm not saying that at all. But I do think that the American church has a a problem with pride and ego. We want to elevate the self instead of elevating the Savior. Is Dr. Ergen Kainer said one time before? I really like this. Says a legalistic, a a, a a true genuine Christian. Let me back up. A legalistic church will try to make you look like themselves, but an authentic church will try to lead you to look like Christ. And that's the key difference. And I would say not just church. I would say leaders. I would say institutions. Anything else you want to add there? A genuine Christian whatever Will desire you to look like Jesus yep. And not like themselves
1: You you, you see that um, actually in a lot of uh, A lot of the churches or a lot of culture today um, Not just in the church But in various other things Um it's, it's almost human nature to um, require people to become uniform to, to
0: what you are or to what you want them to be. Absolutely. And you know normal is overrated. <laughs> we've we, we started looking for different churches and we've been looking at you know trying to find a good church home and this past Sunday we went to a wonderful church and the pastor brought a message and he, he spoke of uh, using one of the illustrations, a couple of parables that Jesus used in the Gospel of Mark, and it was the whole parable of the mustard seed. And he brought up something I had never heard, never thought about, never considered. He said that mustard seed develops into something of a shrub. And he said that some scholars believe that that kind of a shrub may be an invasive plant, something comparable to a weed, something that starts small, starts invading the area, and he said that's kind of what the kingdom of God is. In the kingdom of God, normal is overrated because the family of God is going to include people from all different parts of the world, people who have a good history, people who have a bad history, people who look different, who speak different, people from every echelon of society. The kingdom of God, he said, is moving. And that's what Jesus was saying. The kingdom of God is moving. And with the kingdom of God, normal is truly overrated because God I mean, who else but Jesus would choose a zealot and a tax collector to be in the same group? I mean only Jesus could pull that off. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, how did you how did he keep them two from going at each other? <laughs>
0: I'd love to. I'd love to know that. That's
1: <laughs> did he give him? Did he give him the dad look?
0: I dare say he probably did more than once. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But then, look at the last two verses here, verses nineteen and twenty. He talks about a rebirth uh, that happens. Paul will again suffer the pains of childbirth. Until Christ is fully developed in them, let's take a look at verses nineteen and twenty.
1: Yeah, so back to nineteen again. So now that you kind of know what was what was being done there, understand the weight of what he says, my children. So so if you've brought if you've um, prayed or brought somebody um, up in in uh, discipled them in in Jesus. Um, they become your spiritual children, Absolutely. and that's what he's saying here. My children, I am. I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like you to be with. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know <laughs> what to
0: do about you. <laughs> he's in his wits' end here. It's like. What am I going to do with you? Can you be? Can you imagine being the in the church the first time this was read?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like everybody's like, "Oh, cool! We got a letter from Paul. Yeah, all right." Oh, you yeah, know, and then they oh, <laughs> then we get to
0: verses nineteen and twenty. It's like, oh man,
1: <laughs> did he really just say
0: that? <laughs> yeah. So, so Paul yeah. wishes that the Galatians could be born again, again, uh, born again, again, uh, to be again born again. Uh, but but you know in Hebrews six it tells us that's not possible. You know it's not possible to be reborn a second time. So so he says here he feels like a woman in labor giving birth to the same baby again. <laughs> so so went through the labor pains to have the baby. But, but I, I don't want to be too graphic with the imagery here, but having to do this all over again. <laughs> Somehow or another, the, the baby went back inside and so it has to do this all over again. And so, uh, that's essentially what he's saying. Um, Paul didn't enjoy having to be stern with him in verse 20. It's not like he got any... It, he, it didn't It didn't give him any pleasure bringing a letter like this to the Galatians, mm-hmm. but it was something that was necessary because they were leaving they were leaving the grace of God behind and pursuing something that they had been saved from. and that's this legalistic yeah. mindset. Yeah. yeah back to
1: back to verse uh, verse 1 chapter one, you know, foolish Galatians.
0: And they really were. They, they had experienced the grace of God. And, and he reminds them of how you know, those who were legalistic were trying to um, steer Peter and, and the other apostles away from them, as they had done. But yet they were wanting to follow these guys who were leading them astray instead of following the grace of God. And, and so there are a lot of dangers, I think, in life when we yeah. take up the mantle of legalism instead of embracing and, and promoting the grace of God and, and I've said this before and I'll say it again I don't understand people who say well, we shouldn't talk about the love of God if you, if you don't talk about the love of God you don't have the grace of God if you don't have the grace of God you don't have the mercy of God what well, What are you left with?
1: yeah yeah a whole lot of frustration um, in in this is where people then fall into works-based theology and then start checking off boxes just like the Galatians and there's you know denominations out there that have gone back to that yep you know it's just plain and simple they've gone back
0: to it and it's and it's really frightening it's really just mind-numbing too why Mm -hmm. we prefer to have something well, I guess it goes back to the whole conversation I was going to say why we prefer to have something are about rules and regulations rather than the the grace and love of God but I guess it comes back to the whole issue of pride and we think that we do it if we check off these boxes Mm -hmm. rather than to God somehow or another yep yep
1: yeah, and pretty soon then Jesus is outside the door knocking. Oh, <sighs> yep.
0: That'll preach. Yep.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> so coming up in chapter five, we've got some great stuff ahead. In chapter five, Paul's going to talk about Christ, how he sets us free. He's talking, talk about he's going to appeal to them to to, to take up the mantle, run the race again. Uh, He's going to also talk about uh, the difference between living life according to the Spirit as opposed to living life according to the flesh. Now, you may hear Paul's message talking about grace and and may ask, does this mean you can live any old way you please? Paul says, if you live according to the Spirit... That's going to bring about certain fruit. If you live life according to the flesh, that's going to bring about certain uh, fruit as well. So we'll talk about that coming up in chapter 5. And then chapter 6 wraps things up. Smaller chapter, about what, 18 verses I think it is. And uh, <laughs> yep.
1: Yep.
0: Hard, hard to believe. I can't believe we're talking about the last two chapters of Galatians. Yeah. Crazy.
1: Yeah, it's flown by. In a hurry. <laughs> well, I'm not. Yeah. Yep.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, looking at Curtis's window, I see that beautiful blue sky has turned dark. So that is a sign that it is time for us <laughs> to wrap yep. things up here on this episode of the Two Podcast for our cowboy apologist, Curtis Evlo, Doctor Brian Chilton. Saying God bless, and we'll see you back then next time. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. This program is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. If you enjoyed this podcast, then be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review. Also tell a friend. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas.